That takes us to 7.13 in the morning. You're listening to Upfront. I'm Brian Edwards-Teeker. Kat Brooks will be back in with me next week. Uh, as I speak, prosecutors are giving their final rebuttal in closing arguments in the trial of the three white men who pursued, shot, and killed Ahmad Arbery, an unarmed black man in southern Georgia who was out for a run on February 23rd, 2020. You'll recall that the state went 10 weeks before arresting or charging Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, or their neighbor, William Byron, um, and charged them only after a video that Brian recorded of the killing went public and then went viral. Uh, The trial up to this point has been jaw-dropping in some of the tactics that the defense has used. At one point, the attorney for William Bryan, Kevin Goch, argued for excluding black pastors from the courtroom or limiting the number of black pastors allowed in the courtroom uh, because of the potential that they would intimidate the jury. Just yesterday, uh, Lauren Hogue, a defense attorney for Gregory McMichael, made a reference to Ahmad Arbery's long, dirty toenails while speaking about the incidents uh, that led to his death. We want to start with reaction to, to how this is playing out in Georgia. It's a murder that drew so much attention, it prompted some policy shifts almost immediately, long before the criminal trial played out. We're going to start with Christopher Bruce, who's policy director with the ACLU of Georgia. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I I think this has probably been front and center for Georgians, for black Georgians, a a lot longer than it's been a daily story in the national media. What's it been like watching the trial day by day over the the 10 days of, of testimony and argument? Right, and we could start there of saying that this isn't just for black Georgians, it's for all Georgians and the rest of this nation, really looking in depth into a southern state that has a history, especially this area of Glenn County and Brunswick, a history of racial undertones that always come up to the surface to a point that continuously plagues the black community. So these past 10 days have been really more triggering almost to the past 10 years as you've seen when Trayvon Martin was murdered on February 26th of 2013. These are the type of things that uh, people keep in the back of their heads of why are we going through another trial of a unarmed black man being murdered for not doing anything wrong. Uh, so uh, taking out, and I know we'll get more in depth into the arguments that they're going into, but taking out, Uh, that piece and just looking at us as a society as a whole, I think this trial really goes more towards who do we want to be internally as Americans? Are we treating each other the way that we want to treat them? And do you have the civil right or civil liberty just to go jogging through a neighborhood without being harassed or even murdered? So their defense is... It, it's the same self-defense argument, effectively, that the Kyle Rittenhouse 
defense team deployed successfully in Wisconsin. They're saying there was an altercation, and in the context of that altercation, uh, they, they perceived a threat, and so it was legal to shoot Ahmad Arbery. But they have like an additional hurdle, which is they have to prove that they weren't breaking the law in the first place to provoke the alleged altercation. So this is rested on their saying they were making a legal citizen's arrest under Georgia law, as I understand it. C- can you lay out the story, the narrative that, that the defenders of Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryan ha- have been trying to make? Yes, and we can start off with saying up front in our legal system that you are afforded or you should be appointed a lawyer for your defense. Right? And no one is taking away our legal system and how it works in that way. That the McMichaels and the Bryant, he they should receive a lawyer to put up a defense, no matter if you agree with what kind of story they're putting in or not. <clears throat> this is what we do in wholeheartedly seeking justice. But within that, uh, you have to look at the defenses that they're putting up altogether. You talked about citizens' arrest. That was the first defense that they put forth, which turned out uh, it seemed that there was such a backlash towards this. Our Georgia General Assembly repealed the citizens' arrest law just so that this couldn't happen again. And if you know any history about citizens' arrest, especially in this country, it really came about... Um, after during the Civil War in certain areas, once black people were now freed, slaves were freed, and then the state was trying to come up with ways to do what we're doing now as far as incarcerating them, um, taking black lives, putting them into the legal system, and then making them into pseudo-slaves as prisoners. So to sum up more, citizens' arrest has been repealed in the state of Georgia, and we are the first state to actually repeal it due to this trial altogether. So again, the echoes from this trial are um, going further out than just Glenn County in the state of Georgia. I know other states are looking into citizens' arrest. They wanted to take away that defense, which has failed horribly anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, but it, it's still a defense available to them because it was the law on the books when they killed Ahmad Arbery, um, what's what's it been like seeing how the attorneys defending these men try to weave a story around that? It's been uh, heartbreaking, honestly, uh, to use this type of law and saying that you are claiming citizens' arrest. Which, again, this isn't the first time that a white person is claiming citizens' arrest to actually harass or. Uh, do something wrong against a black person in the state of Georgia. So it's triggering. Uh, There are plenty of other stories that have happened here in this state where uh, this defense has been used. And I think this one time, it's been a time too far. Yeah. Well, what have you thought about how, you know, the the prosecutorial arm of Georgia has handled this case? It, It was handed off between four different offices before anyone brought charges. I'm glad you brought that up. And looking into how the first district attorney um, really got into the case, told the police to stand down and not arrest the McMichaels or Mr. Bryant uh, in the first place, that district attorney, Jackie Johnson, 
who supposedly accused herself and sent it to another district attorney. Well, she's been kicked out of office and not kicked out of office from the governor removing her, but kicked out of office from the people in Glenn County, which is really unheard of in this area. A lot of times when you have elected officials like your district attorney, um, they normally stay in for as long, however long they do want to stay in. But it was such an egregious act by her that she got voted out uh, this past year. And now she's under charges herself for interfering with the case. So it, the state of Georgia has a lot to uh, answer for. And it's not just the four district attorneys that are handling the case. Uh, the attorney general, who is supposed to give the hate case off, and hand it off to other district attorneys should be held accountable as well. So there needs to be more of an in-depth review on the processes for people in those communities to actually seek justice. Remember, like you said before, Ahmaud Arbery was murdered on February 23rd of 2020, and we didn't even see the Georgia Bureau of Investigations to actually come in until the month of May and then make an arrest a few days later. And that was after the video recorded by William Bryan, like was released to a radio station and went viral and embarrassed the government into action. Yes. And here's the thing. I learned about uh, this murder probably back in March of 2020. So murder on February 23rd, March, the ACLU hears more about it. Started working with community groups uh, to really raise the ire of it and really look into why this was happening. When we really discover this is not the first time that Glen County Police Department has done something unethical, or this is not the first time that district attorney has done something unethical. So I think one of the lessons that we take out of this is know who is in charge and hold them accountable. If you've never had a conversation with your district attorney, you need to. If you've never had a conversation with your police chief, your county commission, or whoever's over your um, policing department, you need to. Otherwise, things like this can happen in your neighborhood, in your community, and no one would know about it. Tell me about the, the place where it happened, Satilla Shores in, in, in Glynn County, Georgia. Like, what's the community like? how much of what we're seeing come up in this case is exceptional uh, and how much is typical? So the Satilla Shores is a uh, offshoot outside of the city of Brunswick, not too far, very segregated area as well. As you've heard uh, in the case and other reports have said, there are Confederate flags that fly often uh, in this area. And right by uh, city of Brunswick, which is a majority minority city, uh, mostly with black people uh, there. But Glenn County as a whole has another area within it called St. Simons, probably one of the wealthiest areas uh, in the state of Georgia where people have boats, uh, shoreline, and everything else. So what also plays out within this area is the economic uh, disparity that happens between blacks and whites within this community. There's a few commissioners there, but there's only one black commissioner, a county commissioner within this entire county. So it's not just the uh, what happened to Ahmaud Arbery that we're looking at. We're looking at this entire community as a whole 
And as we see uh, African Americans being disadvantaged in the places that they have historical roots going back to slavery times. Um, so seeking justice is not just within this trial. It's within the overall community to heal and make sure that this never happens again. So you, you talked about um, kind of two two concrete wins in the political realm um, after this case blew up. One was Georgia repealing its citizens' arrest law. And I should note it was a Republican governor who signed off on that. Um, mm-hmm. The other is District Attorney Jackie Johnson being voted out of office largely because of her handling of the prosecution. Um, the third, my understanding is Georgia has now passed a, a hate crimes law in response to this. Um, can, can you walk us through what's changed? Yes, and the hate crimes law was the first law uh, that was actually passed. So uh, that happened in, I believe, June of 2020. And that was also a law that was sponsored by our governor, pushed forth and received uh, wholehearted bipartisan support and almost passed by unanimously, which, you know anything about uh, deep South politics, doesn't happen like that. Democrats and vote no, Republicans vote yes, or vice versa. Uh, the hate crimes law was something that was actually missing. Georgia is one of three states that does not have uh, comprehensive civil rights or civil liberties. So Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. And um, if you pair those three together, you can probably guess why. So it literally took uh, the murder of this individual, which was racially biased, racially motivated, uh, for the General Assembly to say, okay, now it's time for us to act. And adding other protections within there, such as if you are attacking because of a LGBTQ plus uh situation, your gender. So your basic 14th Amendment civil rights and civil liberties, but also adding in LGBTQ protections within it. I will say this, and I've criticized them for this before, because uh, one, traditionally the ACLU is, uh, has a varied stance on hate crimes. The reporting piece is always important. Uh, the federal government has a federal hate crimes act that is supposed to look at local jurisdictions and the issues that happen at that in there. The issue that goes in is that the local jurisdictions have to actually track and send that information to the federal government so we can start, start shaping good policies and working together. That's missing from this act. Uh, so while we have passed hate crimes, it should not be overlooked that there is a critical piece as far as tracking hate crimes and reporting it to the federal government that's still needed in the state of Georgia. So, in this case, um, the the youngest person involved, Travis McMichael, uh, is alleged to have used the N-word during the period where they confronted Ahmaud Arbery. He's also apparently made liberal use of it on social media. Um, how would having the hate crime statute on the books have changed the prosecution that, that's currently playing out? So that would probably be another charge that they could put into it. Again, they're not uh, charged with a hate crime because the hate crime law never existed in the state of Georgia. But I think that would actually put things more in perspective for the jury as well to let them know um, that we're seeking this because it's racially motivated. The, 
prosecution has done a great job of not even really putting in race into this situation. It seems more the defense is trying to make that argument. And the reason why I say that is because it looks more like the prosecution is saying, we're just going to treat this as a young man who is not bothering anyone, who is literally tracked down and hunted by the McMichaels and Mr. Bryant. So race within it, we know race was a factor as the defense is saying about black pastors not being in a courtroom or anything else. The prosecution is being steadfast and focused and saying it's not about a black or white issue. It's really more about this is an American who was not bothering anybody that was literally murdered uh, in his own backyard. That sounds like a strategy for appealing to a disproportionately white jury. Um, I, I mean, speaking of getting triggered, <laughs> reading racism into a white person's actions is incredibly triggering to a lot of us white people, even in the year 2021. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, within that, I'm glad you brought that out, because if you look at the jury, 11 of the jurors are white and they come from this area as well. I'm not saying everyone in this area is a racist or anything else, but we know that uh, racial biases are implicitly within us all. So this, again, if you go into anything that's dealt with like to kill a mockingbird or other things, things like this happen in the South oftentimes. It is up to us as a community, locally and nation, as a nation, to really figure out what is justice, how do we want to treat each other, so bringing up the racial issue, you never know uh, what kind of background people have. But bringing up that this person was a human being, a young man who was taken too early within his life, and the way that he was literally running for his life while people with pickup trucks and guns is a scene more out of the 1920s than it is in the 2020s. I hate to make this joke, but it really resonates. Even the racist thought that this was a racist act and it's gone way mm. too far mm. all right uh christopher bruce we'll leave it there i want to thank you so much for making time for us on what must be a very busy morning for you it is but i want to thank you for keeping this in the minds and hearts of people across the nation we need to look at this case and figure out who we are as a people so thank you Christopher Bruce is policy director with the ACLU of Georgia. Uh, final arguments continuing at this moment. Uh, the prosecution just wrapping up its rebuttal in the Glynn County courtroom where Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryan are being tried on multiple counts resulting from them chasing, shooting, and killing Ahmaud Arbery, a black man who was out for a jog on February 23rd, 2020.